uh, listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, May the 13th, in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to examine one of the lessons for this coming Sunday, another Sunday of Easter. And it's a lesson that I think is really helpful for understanding the distinctions between law and gospel. That's the name of this program, Law and Gospel. But a lot of times people really are somewhat ignorant of what God means by the distinctions between law and gospel. Because at times it seems pretty easy. Uh, For example, thou shalt not kill. Is that law or gospel? Well, that's law. And how about Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Well, yeah, that's good news. That's gospel. But law and gospel is far more complex than just noting whether or not a specific passage is law or gospel. For example, from God's point of view, Uh, The reason people are having so much turmoil these days is because the law is affecting them. What does that mean? It means that in the midst of all this turmoil, anxiety, depression, they are realizing they cannot handle their life. That is a purpose of the law, to show you that you fall short of meeting the commands of God, and therefore you're in the midst of tribulation all the time. And there's all kinds of ways in which tribulation occurs. So the purpose of the law is to help people see that they are unable to get out of tribulation, and therefore they need to look outside of themselves, and when they hear a message from outside themselves, namely by their works, of course, the gospel, then the Holy Spirit can create faith in them so that they come to such a recognition. We're going to be taking a look at the lesson. During the Easter season, we do not have a reading from the Old Testament. We have readings instead from the book of Acts, So the section we're going to take a look at this day is Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now, the apostles, of course, would be those that Jesus had assigned, including the apostle Paul, And the brothers would be Christians who were formerly Jewish, who now became brothers in Christ. And they heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Now, you got to remember, there was a big distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were not even allowed into the temple proper. Uh, They were out there with the women and the children and the infirmed, the lame, the blind, the deaf, etc. So the idea that they had received the word of God and were now also becoming brothers was really kind of unusual. And that follows with verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem 
the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now, the circumcised party, and that would be of Christians, they're often called Judaizers. These are individuals who believed that when you become a Christian and you're a Gentile, you still need to follow the ceremonial laws, including circumcision. Remember, the Apostle Paul had Timothy and Titus. One he circumcised, one he did not. He did not circumcise the one where the people said, unless you're circumcised, you're not saved. So Paul did not circumcise him because he was making the point that that's not necessary. But he circumcised the other simply because it was easier to talk to circumcised individuals, not because they thought you had to be circumcised to be saved, but it's kind of you're of the same nature. Uh, For example, missionaries will learn the cultures of the lands to which they are sent in order to imitate them so that they are not someone who's going to be ignored. Uh, For example, in a number of cultures, elderly men, noble men, never run because it shows they're not in charge of their life. They haven't got their act together. So missionaries are taught that even when they walk, they walk slowly in order not to offend individuals who won't therefore listen to them. So circumcision could be done, but not as a reason for becoming a Christian. And that's why they're really upset with Peter who eats with uncircumcised men. Remember, that was also a charge against Jesus. Uh, Not only uncircumcised Gentiles, but also with prostitutes and known sinners. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. So he is now going to give a chronological order of how he came to understand that it was not necessary for an individual to be circumcised. Now, the first thing or problem you might think about, but isn't that God's law? Well, the Bible is very clear. There are three kinds of laws that God has. He has moral laws. That's basically the Ten Commandments. He has civil laws That is the punishment for wrongdoing in the secular world. And he has ceremonial laws. And they were to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. Now, we are no longer bound as New Testament Christians to either the civil laws or the ceremonial laws. For example, a woman caught in adultery is not stoned to death in the United States of America. That was a civil law God had for the people of Israel. Also, we no longer follow the ceremonial laws. We, we do not sacrifice animals on any altar or do all kinds of other offerings, grain offerings, etc. Nor do we insist on circumcision. So, how did Peter come to understand this? He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying... And in a trance, I saw a vision. 
Now, we've already talked about a number of times where people get visions. For instance, John in the book of Revelation, uh, the whole book of Revelation is written from the point of view of the vision that he was in. So whether he was sleeping, this word, he was in a trance. In other words, God took over his thinking and he saw this vision. There was a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. Now, the word heaven there doesn't refer to the afterlife, but looking up into the sky, the heavens and the earth. So there was this four sheets. Uh, He was on a roof, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, this is verse 6 of Acts chapter 11. I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Now, we're going to find out that these are unclean animals according to the Old Testament ceremonial laws. There were certain birds they were not to eat, certain reptiles they were not to eat, etc. And and therefore, any good Jew of the Old Testament would not eat unclean meat. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Remember, before Saul became Paul in the sense that he was converted He talked about that under the law, he was blameless. And you're thinking he never sinned? No, what he's talking about, there was no ceremonial law that he had disobeyed. He didn't work on the Sabbath. He had been circumcised. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He never ate anything unclean. And so that's what Peter is now saying. Nothing unclean or common has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. And then he says, this happened three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. So the vision of that great blanket with all this unclean food on it was taken back up into heaven. But three times he had been told to eat. And, of course, he rejected the voice because he was totally immersed into ceremonial laws in order to be saved. Nothing had unclean ever entered his mouth. So after the sheet went up into heaven again, behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. That's what he finds out. And the Spirit, and that's a capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Now, every now and then there's things in the Bible that are specifically revealed, and you're wondering, why are they making this point? Why are they saying that? Uh, for for example, 
when uh, Jesus is walking through Solomon's portico, it talks about that it was in the evening. Well, why did they, uh, I'm sorry, it was in winter. And you're wondering, why did they have to tell us it was in winter? Because that place of Solomon's was undercover. And so, therefore, there was not only protection from the weather, but possibly more warm. And that's, by the way, where the rabbis and the scribes would meet to discuss theology. So, at any rate, here it says that there were six brothers who accompanied me. Now, why is that mentioned about six brothers? Well, the fact of the matter is that in those days, a proper witness was three men. And so now he has double the number of witnesses which would be needed to establish that what he is saying is true. So what is he going to be saying? Well, he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house. And so this is the person to whom he is going. And the angel said, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So Peter begins to speak. And of course, what he's speaking is the message of Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. What does the word beginning refer to? When the Holy Spirit came upon even lay people. That's talking about Pentecost. That at the time of the Pentecost, wonderful event, many people were saved. They were baptized. They and their children and also those who are afar off, who are Gentiles. But what God is doing here, he is reinforcing in the mind of Peter the purpose of salvation even for Gentiles. So, going on. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's really critical that this is a baptism that comes not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles. And so remember, Peter is arguing with those of the circumcision who think it was wrong for him to go ahead and even eat with uncircumcised individuals, those Gentiles. But he remembers the words of Jesus. In fact, I can't think of a doctrine that we have in the Holy Christian Church that is not backed up by the words of Jesus. And sometimes it just takes a necessity to understand that. Uh, for, for example, 
one of the goals of my sermon is to get a person's head to catch up with his heart. I've said that a number of times. What do I mean by that? Well, when I talk about the word heart, I'm talking about the heart that David talks about in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. On Judgment Day, God is not going to examine your head. He's going to examine your heart. And in your heart, you believe Jesus Christ properly. The trouble is, by the time you start thinking about it, doubts start coming in. And so the purpose of a sermon is to get your head to catch up with your heart so that in your head, you now confess what your heart already believes. That's the purpose of sermons and Bible studies. So, remember, Peter, he's under the impression, boy, I cannot eat this unclean food because that's God's law. But then, verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them, and he's referring to the Gentiles, as he gives to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Now, what's he referring to? How do we stand in God's way? We break the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so here God told Peter, eat this unclean food, and he stood in God's way. No, I I won't do that. This is unclean. But God so loved Peter that he gave him an experience to help him to see that the words of God are always true. This is why you and I are no longer under the ceremonial laws. Because Jesus fulfilled all those laws with his death on the cross. And therefore we are free from having to obey the ceremonial laws in order to be saved. In fact, I'd go one step further. We're also free from having to perfectly obey the moral laws in order to be saved, although they're still in existence. It was a sin before the New Testament to steal. It still is a sin. But before the New Testament time, it was a sin to eat unclean food. It is no longer a sin to eat unclean food. Now, who's Peter talking to? Remember, he's talking to those who are of the circumcision, who believe that, no, you cannot become a Christian unless you follow all the laws of God, including the ceremonial laws. But when they heard these things that Peter was saying, they fell silent. Now, A lot of times I'll be discussing with someone God's word that they have disagreed with, and then they are silent. And so I don't know whether they are silent because they're fed up with arguing with me. They're still going to keep to their opinion and not argue anymore. Or are they silent because their minds have also been changed in view of God's word? Well, the way to answer that in this situation 
is by Scripture interpreting Scripture. In fact, yesterday I was doing a Bible study in one of the Bible studies I do, and I'd ask a question, and people say, we don't know. Where do we find the answer? I said, Scripture interprets Scripture, and it was the very next verse. And in fact, that happened three times in the same text where God kept explaining and explaining and explaining what he meant by the previous verses. So, also here, why were they silent? The next verse says, And they glorified God, saying... So their silence was silence in regard to circumcision was necessary. And instead... Here's what they said. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance and leads to life. Now, repentance just doesn't mean, boy, I'm sorry for my sins. Or else you could say Judas was repentant over his betrayal of the Lord. But that's a different Greek word in regard to Judas. He was just sorry for the consequences That's not proper repentance. Proper repentance in the Bible includes not only a confession that I and I alone am responsible for my sins, but it also includes a turning to Jesus Christ as our Savior. In the parable of the lost sheep, there's no doubt that the sheep is confessing that it's lost. Is probably making noise, and perhaps that's the way that the shepherd found it. And then when it's lifted up on the shoulders of the shepherd, it has great joy. And that's what law and gospel is all about. The law takes care of the first part of repentance in helping us to understand that we fall short of the glory of God and we are not worthy enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But then comes the gospel, where God picks you up on his shoulders, and he takes your sins to the cross, and he pays for them with the worst punishment that could ever occur. And it wasn't just the pain of the crucifixion. It was what he says from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was what he was really concerned about in the Garden of Gethsemane, leading him to sweat as of drops of blood. So now the people in the circumcision, having heard what Peter said, and remember, he had six individuals with him and therefore had plenty of witnesses, they came to the conclusion that Peter was talking about, that the Gentiles also have been granted repentance that leads to life. I I find it interesting that Peter had already mentioned that earlier in the book of Acts. It was after uh, the Pentecost uh, experience, and the the people say, what shall we do? And Peter tells them what they are to do. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. This is verse 38 of Acts 2. And you will receive the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But listen what he says next. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And that's a technical word for referring to the Gentiles. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So that's what Peter already is believing. And yet he still was under the false teaching that the Gentiles had to be circumcised. But then this experience that God put him through with converting the Gentile who asked him to come to his house, wow, then he knew that the Gentiles are saved in the same way the Jews are, through repentance and faith. That's a great example of how we distinguish law and gospel, that the law never saves, but the gospel can save anyone. In other words, nobody is unsavable. Due to an assignment I have tomorrow, we will not be having a live broadcast of Law and Gospel. It will be a repeat. So we'll be back, God willing, with a live broadcast on Wednesday doing a Bible study for congregations who are gathered together to hear it or you in your home. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.